0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I am your host, Bill Filippo, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on, buddy? You know, I'm feeling good. Feeling coming good?
1: Off, coming off a win. Yeah. Back, back on the podcast, I wasn't on the Temple Preview pod, which really hurt my feelings when you guys talked about Rob Bolden without me. But you know what? I'm, I'm ready to move on and talk about a
0: win. I, I just want everyone to be aware. Uh, Nick... It's not like we did this without Nick on purpose. He just couldn't be on the podcast for some reason, and that was the end of it. We also, I had no idea Rob Bolden discussion was going to pop up. It just happened organically, unlike my, well, actually, no, actually pretty similar It's my weekly shout-outs to the crew over at Crimson Quarry. Shout-out to all you guys. Love y'all. Uh, so, like Nick mentioned, Penn State, 34 able to exercise the demon from last year's uh, I mean, I think at this point we can call it a pretty embarrassing loss for a few reasons, not because Temple was bad or anything, but last year's embarrassing loss to Temple. Uh, Penn State, the big performers, were Trace McSorley, 18 for 24, 287 yards. Uh, Saquon Barkley, 9 carries, 68 yards. Chris Godwin had a big game for the Nickname Lions, 7 receptions, 117 yards. And of course, the biggest game of them all um, kind of came out of nowhere was. Walk-on linebacker Brandon Smith filling in. Uh, Jason Gaminda we all knew was out. Naeem Mortman-White went down. And, of course, we all hope nothing but the best for Naeem. There's that, it, it, hopefully this is not the end of his season. We all hope we can see him back out there raising hell again. But Brandon Smith stepped in, exceeded everyone's wildest expectations, uh, second on the defense with six tackles, and was just generally all over the place. So, shout-out to him. Shout-out to Temple for uh, a pretty good football game. And Nick, let's let's get talking about this. What was the one big thing that you took away from this game? Um, so
1: I feel like I came out of this game a lot with a lot more positivity than a lot of fans did. Um, I know it was remarked on one of the couple kind of mini recaps I did after the game that uh, the, someone someone said something along the lines of, wow, like, you're really positive after this. And for me, it's the fact that at one point they were down six starters on defense, yeah. and they still were able to play a game that was really not as close as the final score indicated. Yeah. I mean, this—if you—if you go back and watch this game again, this this game should have been like forty-one twenty. Yeah. Like Penn State should have handily won this game, and I mean, they didn't on the scoreboard, but in a lot of ways, they still did. And the fact that they did that with loop with miss, while missing over half of their starting defense was pretty impressive.
0: Absolutely. And looking through the stats right now, uh, Temple had 324 yards of total offense, which of course is, I mean, that's if Penn State's right around there all year, I don't think anyone would be too terribly upset. Uh, Temple could not run the football. They could not run the ball at all. 28 carries, 38 yards against a Penn State defense that, like you said, just ravaged with, with injuries. The linebackers from left to right were, a true sophomore who really needs to get more time and reps, a walk-on and a true sophomore that is a little bit ahead of where the other true sophomore is, but can use some reps. Really the things that kept uh, Temple in this game, one was PJ Walker, well he's gone by Philip Walker now, Philip Walker, who uh, after last year's game I thought he was fine, but some of the plays that he was able to make, where he was just throwing on the run and fitting the ball into these incredibly tight windows was something I thought was really impressive. Uh, Penn State turned the ball over three times, a couple of fumbles. Trace McSorley had a, an interception that Temple was able to get into plus territory, and then not counted in there was the fact that there was a weird play late in the game where Temple punted the ball and it awkwardly bounced off of a Penn State player, and Temple got the ball on, like, in their goal line, I want to say all of us on their one-yard line. So there were just a lot of really fluky things that, like you said, if one or two of them don't go against Penn State, if Temple's first play on its second drive where the ball was on the one or the two-yard line isn't a 70-plus yard reception down the middle of the field, or a 67-yard reception, it, we don't know. Maybe this game is a bit more of a blowout, and I'm kind of with you on this. The, my big takeaway was that Penn State played a lot better than you would probably think. It was just a couple of those little things that come from, you know, a younger team uh, that's working through some of the kinks and trying to figure out exactly what it is as a football team. I, I joke that Penn State is Indiana East in that it's going to put up a lot of points, but there's going to be chaos on the other side of the football. I don't necessarily believe that, but... I think you can make an argument that Penn State's going to play in a lot of really weird football games this year because of its youth, because of how the team is struggling with depth, and just things like that. And that kind of brings us into the next thing with the Temple game, and that's the biggest point of optimism. And I'll go first. The thing for me is that we know what Penn State's defense is at this point because with, as it's dealing with all these injuries and yet despite that it was able to have a really solid game going up against the owls was everything perfect no of course not but kevin gibbons and parker cothran looked like they're guys that could be potential beasts on the inside of the defensive line uh manny bowen made some awesome plays torrence brown looked like a really explosive and solid option at defensive end while garrett sickles was just garrett sickles you know having a nice game, nothing crazy, but nothing that's going to make you go, man, I'm upset that Penn State has Garrett Sickles. Then he, a, for,
1: he forced that last interception, too. He
0: did, yeah. The interception that fell into the arms of John Reed, who, again, is just really good at playing football. Across from him, I mean, there were some, there were some issues of cornerback, but nothing that can't be solved with some more reps or with Grant Haley coming back. The safeties played well, save for that one... Big game, up the middle, uh, big game on the second drive of the game. Then, of course, there's Brandon Smith, who I did not know was on the team as of about the second quarter of yesterday's game. I mean, Every time he made a play, I had to keep looking at the roster on my phone, which you can find on RoarLionsRore.com, and going, who is number 47 or whatever his number is? Oh, that's Brandon Smith. Who is he? I don't know who that dude is. So it was just pretty... Pretty good to see what Penn State was able to do defensively, even though it was down some starters. All three linebackers are out. Evan Schwann, I, I I would guess Torrance Brown has probably taken him over at this point, but he was out and, you know, steady option at defensive end. Grant Haley's out. Like you said, both safeties were out at one point or another, and Penn State's defense was generally pretty fine. Uh, Nick, for you, what was your big, if you're taking away something that made you feel optimistic, what would that be?
1: Yeah, so mine's kind of similar. Um, So my kind of biggest point of optimism is that I feel pretty confident at this point uh, after this game and after three games that this offense can carry the team. Um, Part of that is that Penn State's defense hasn't been great. They haven't put together a complete defensive performance uh, against Pitt they weren't ever really tested through the air, but they didn't really, we weren't able to stop the run game at all yeah. against temple. They, I mean, granted Philip Walker has been a pretty good quarterback for two years now, um, but they weren't really able to stop him much through the air. I mean, he made some nice throws uh, the throws he did make. Uh, he didn't challenge the Penn state secondary all that much. So he did a nice job, uh, but they shut down the run game completely. So knowing that and, knowing that they'll probably be able to at least do something on the defensive side of the ball and that they have so many talented guys back there that are just still working to piece it together, yeah, I feel pretty confident that this defense is not going to be one that gives up 30 points a game like Indiana's has been wont to do. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel fairly confident that, well, granted, 30 points a game against Average teams, teams against Michigan, Ohio State, obviously all bets are out the window. But I feel pretty confident in the fact that I think Penn State's offense is good enough to carry them in most games, and their defense is okay enough to yeah. keep teams at least within the 20s for scoring. And, I mean, that that's pretty good for the Big Ten. I and mean, that's really all you need to do to win games in the Big Ten.
0: Yeah, if Penn State's, Basically, backup linebackers and nicked up safeties and one starting corner. And
1: I will say, judging st- on yeah. Marcus Allen's dance moves at the end of the game, I
0: think he's fine. <laughs> oh yeah, but based on the fact that that's what we saw against Temple and Penn State, still held Temple to. Uh, uh, here, let me pull this up again. I just lost it because I'm an idiot. Three hundred twenty-four oh, yards, yards of total offense, 13 oh. first downs. I, I think that there are plenty of reasons to think that once guys like Brandon Bell and Jason Cabinda and Grant Haley come back and get up to form, Penn State's defense is going to be better than what it has been over the last few games. And even if the backup, the essentially backup defense at a number of positions is allowing 27 points and 300 and something yards, I'll take that. I trust this offense enough based on what we've seen out of Joe Moorhead and out of his scheme and out of guys like Trace McSorley and uh, uh, Saquon Barkley and the bevy of talented receivers in the offensive line, which I'll have to look. But I don't think they've allowed us. They've maybe allowed one sack this season. I'll double check that. Uh, I feel like Pitt
1: had at least two.
0: Five. Okay. Yeah. It, it see I think that's just because through the first three games last season, Penn State had allowed double digit sacks. So, since it's, only I mean, five they, backs, they
1: allowed double digit sacks in the first game. Shh, we don't
0: <laughs> talk about that. But yeah, the fact that it's just been improvement, both in protecting McSorley and opening up lanes for the running backs to run through, it's been pretty hard not to feel optimistic about the offense. If there's a reason, for concern after the Temple game uh, and just what we saw in that game, other than uh, we'll just sideline injuries for now, is that Penn State never really seemed like it was able to put Temple away. Uh, And like we said, and mistakes are playing a part uh, part in that. Temple getting some really big plays and really weird moments played a part in that. But for me, I was just a little bit concerned because – You know, as we've mentioned on here a few times, Temple was a 15-point favorite that lost by 15 points to Army. I wanted to see Penn State have that killer instinct. And again, young team, that's something you develop with as many reps as possible, but that's what I wanted to see in this game. Penn State just really put its foot on the gas and pull away from Temple. We never really saw that, and... I'm going to bet that Penn State's not in a position to do that against Michigan. Um, But maybe against Minnesota, maybe against Maryland. That's something that I want to see Penn State go out and do. Uh, What about yourself?
1: So I actually kind of disagree with something you said before that when talking about the offensive line. Because aside from, we've talked about the defense, I think our concerns of the defense are pretty well known. But I'm concerned with the run blocking so far. That's fair. Um, The pass blocking's been great. The pass blocking has truly, truly been very good for Penn State's offensive line, which is an unbelievably welcome sight. Um, yeah. But the run blocking is left a little bit to be desired. The, they're not getting as much of a push um, as you'd like to see them getting, especially the guards, guys like Ryan Bates, who made his name in high school as a run blocker, um, and Derek Dowry, which honestly at this point I still don't really know. I don't know if Derek Dowry has something he does better between pass blocking and run blocking but he's playing guard so you'd like to see him ability be a little more powerful on the inside and they both showed they have the potential to do that on Saquon Barkley's 55 yard touchdown run I mean Bates is out in the second level leveling a linebacker to the ground and shoving him down there at the end of the play that's what I want to see more of that's I want to see more of that nastiness and getting to the second level and just plowing their guys over because that's what I feel like I haven't really seen a lot from uh the penn state offensive line this year and that continued in this game and saquon barkley as good as he is and as good as he was last year at least last year i feel like he was getting a little more from the run blocking um and this year he just hasn't gotten that so as good as he is no running back can truly truly be themselves if they're not getting a chance to at least have a running start when they get the ball before there's a defender in their face. So the run blocking was a little disappointing to me in this game. And until I see a visible change in it, I'm not really sure that concern is going to go away.
0: Well, counterpoint is uh Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, Andre Robinson, the guys that I think you and I would agree are Penn state's three top running backs. They 9, 119 total yards on 18 carries for the three of them that's about six and a half yards per carry. And of course there's that one big outlier, uh, the Saquon Barkley 55 yard touchdown run.
1: And then Sanders had a 19 something yard run on fourth down too.
0: And, but outside of that, like, let's just take that Saquon one, for example, that was a really, really well-blocked play. I mean, I believe Mike Kasecchi might have had some issues uh, blocking someone but say k got past him, but the five offensive linemen, especially Ryan Bates, they opened up a pretty big hole for him, so I think this yeah kind of it, goes it's back. not
1: it's not a it's not a consistent yeah
0: concern I was about,
1: it's yeah like they've showed they've showed promise they've had those flashes. I just want to see them do it more consistently yeah
0: and this almost reminds me of the Rutgers game uh from last year where Yeah, Penn State had some moments where it struggled in the line of scrimmage, but when it was able to get a push and open things up, and this has basically been the case for as long as Penn State's had Saquon Barkley and now that it has Miles Sanders and Andre Robinson, they should be able to do this as well because they're both really talented running backs. But when Penn State gives them a little bit of room to run, they're usually able to run. And I think this is something that, again, it's going to kind of even itself out as the season goes along. But I think they've been a little bit better than you are willing to give them credit for, you negative Nancy. I can't believe you would be so mean on the podcast.
1: I just expect, I am yep, so yep, ready no. for Ryan Bates to be that, a that's,
0: yeah, that's dominant,
1: dominant run blocker, and he's just not there yet.
0: He's Again, he's had his mo like, we, of course, all y'all aren't in the Roar Lions Roar Slack, but... Nick has fawned over that block from Ryan Bates on Saquon's touchdown run where he just gets out to the second level and throws a dude on the ground and then essentially just stands over him and pushes him down like he's an older brother over and over again. It's pretty great, and Nick's had a good time with that. Um, And I I think it's a little bit – we shouldn't expect to see that on every play, of course, but those moments where we do see it – it reminds you of how talented a dude like Ryan Bates is. Um, so kind of the last thing that I want to mention is just how, if there was ever any time during the game that you felt nervous, because I kind of felt two conflicting emotions throughout this game. One was that I never felt like Temple was going to win it. But I also, as I mentioned, never felt like Penn State really put Temple away. And that's something that can, concerns me. Like, A is great, and it shows that I've, I, I think I have a little bit of faith in the team. But again, B is just, I, 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 they're lacking that killer instinct right now. And again, youth, I think you could really easily write that off as the issue, but Let's say we get into the conference schedule, which we'll talk about in a second, and Penn State's playing a team like an Iowa or an Indiana, and they're just not able to put them away, and they're able to take advantage of stuff like that better than a team like Temple can. How did you feel throughout this game? Did you kind of share that uh, nervousness that I had about Penn State never fully being able to put Temple away? No. Interesting. And
1: I, I agree that I want to see Penn State develop more of a killer instinct I feel like between watching Penn State football and the baseball team that I coach over the last, uh, uh, going on the third year, I have just, I've almost given up on teams that I am familiar with developing a killer instinct. But, sorry, anyone, and I'm sure my baseball players are not listening to this, but that's irrelevant. Um, But I never felt like this game was in doubt, personally. And I don't know if that was a mix of Temple's Temple not really getting a ton of first downs, their inefficiency on third down, um, how they just repeatedly shot themselves in the foot over and over again with penalties or what but i i don't know I just never really felt I never really felt in danger with this one. I mean, I started writing the recap post uh talking about penn state's win probably halfway through the fourth quarter, and at no point did I even remotely consider rewriting it, so i I don't, yeah i don't know it maybe it was the fact that Temple couldn't run the ball, but yeah i don't this is just a weird game like i i mean i after this game ended, I would have expected to look up like I said and see forty one fourteen or forty one twenty on the scoreboard and I just never felt it never felt in doubt to me
0: interesting i yeah i just i don't know what it was. I think it's just the fact that every time it seemed like Penn State was in a position to really impose itself on Temple. It just didn't really do that. Um, like Penn State up 21-7 to seven in the second quarter, has an opportunity to maybe start, let's get it to 24, let's get it to 28, something like that. Never really able to do that. Third quarter up 24-10, to 10, could start to stretch the lead, never really gets the chance to do that. And then next thing you know, you look up, and it's the fourth quarter, and it's a three-point game with 8 minutes and 10 seconds left, and then Saquon Barkley just does a Saquon Barkley thing, and that kind of puts Temple at arm's length. So, uh, I'm not too optimistic, I've already mentioned this, about next week, but Minnesota comes down on October 1st, that's a not world-beating, but solid football team, that'll be a really good barometer for where Penn State is right now, especially because it will be going up against a first-round NFL draft pick and one Mitch Leidner. Then Maryland the week after, who that's going to be a really weird game, and Maryland's going to try and play as fast as possible and hang as many points on Penn State as possible in an attempt to just make the game about making one or two fluky plays that Penn State has, for reasons usually not necessarily – uh, that Penn State can control just hasn't been on the right end of. So, I think we're going to learn a lot about Penn State once it gets into those conference games. Uh, we'll talk about <laughs> we'll talk about Michigan next week. Uh, not next week, later this week. And uh, as you can tell by the tone of my voice, I don't think we're going to have too many happy things to talk about with that game. But let's just talk about the non-conference schedule uh, as a whole. And Nick, let's just talk those three things that we talked about at the Temple recap. Or we, we'll just we'll scrap the one big thing. Your biggest point of optimism and your biggest point of concern around the team through the first three games of the season: the thirty-three thirteen win over Kent State, the forty-two thirty-nine loss to Pitt, and the thirty-four to twenty-seven win over Temple.
1: Well, in a surprise turn of events, I actually took notes for this podcast. I was prepared. So,
0: well, in, in I will... fairness, that was also because this is probably the second time we have ever put together an outline for a podcast. So. This is true. This is true.
1: So I'll combine my one big thing of my optimism because they're pretty uh, okay. uh, intertwined anyway. And for me, it's that this team is so close to being really good. Oh yeah, they're so close to being really good. And I, while they are so close, I don't think it'll happen in 2016. I think turnovers and injuries will keep them from reaching that potential this year. But they really are so damn close to being good. Yeah. The offensive line has gotten so much better. The play calling on offense has been mostly phenomenal. McSorley's been accurate. Barkley's done what he's been given. Like, he's, he's taken what's been put in front of him. The defense has at least showed the ability to adjust. I mean... They got gashed against Pitt on the ground. All right, let's adjust. They gave up 38 rushing yards to Temple. That's a great adjustment. I know the quality of rushing attack is not even close to the same, but still, that's a hell of an adjustment by Brent Pry in the defense. So that that kind of that, the optimistic part of this team for me is that if a few things break, I mean, if their just un- otherworldly turnover luck finally starts to bend a little bit back towards what the expected turnover luck would look like then this team is going to be pretty good. It's going to be the kind of a team that annoys the hell out of the big teams like the big monsters in the big 10 East like Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State.
0: Yeah. And what about your one reason the the thing that through three games you're the most pessimistic about?
1: I think it's hard to pick anything other than the defense. Uh, I mean injuries suck and there have been a lot of them. But that doesn't quite explain all the problems they've had on that side of the ball. They've missed a lot of tackles. They've blown some assignments in really big spots like uh, Naeem Wartman just oh. drifted a little, a little too far to the left on the James Connor touchdown at the end of the pit game. Uh, Jake Cooper, again, young guy, but biting on a fake on that 70-whatever-yard uh, pass early on in the Temple game. So they're there have been injuries for sure, but there have also been some mental lapses and some just disappointing technique as far as tackling goes. Um, and then the lack of depth at key spots like linebacker. It's there. Like we said, there's pieces on the defense to be optimistic about. Kevin Givens is, looks like a future stud. Uh, Torrance Brown looks oh, yeah. great. Sickles has been great. I mean, there's there's some really great individual talents on the defense, but I think it's hard to be really optimistic about their outlook.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, for me, the biggest reason for pessimism, it has to be just the little mistakes that Penn State is making. Where it's just a guy being a little bit out of position or someone not getting a block or a costly turnover or just little things like that. And again, this is a point that I'm going to hammer home. These are all things that you get better at the more you play football with the guys around you. And fortunately for Penn State, its team next year loses two linebackers, a safety, and two offensive linemen, and that's it. So I agree with you that this team is really close and more than ever, and this is a point that I know you and I have both said, that this team is going to show flashes this year, but in 2017, that's the year where James Franklin is going to finally be able to show what he wants to do at Penn State. I think that we have more, and and this is also going to be my reason for optimism, we have more reasons to believe that through three games than I thought we would. Um, all All Penn State's big issues have been just shooting itself in the foot. Well, let's say with a little bit more seasoning, it's able to not do those things, and it's able to go from a team that is making these inexperienced mistakes to Trace Trace McSorley knowing that Irvin Charles is running the wrong route and he shouldn't try and force something into the end zone, or Irvin Charles just knowing he's running the wrong route, or the defense... I just
1: found out that you're a route person instead of route.
0: Route, route, whatever. Interesting. I'll I'll say route for you, Nick. Whatever, I don't care. (laughs)
1: No, no, do you.
0: (laughs) Or some of the issues that some of the younger dudes have with tackling, or some of the issues that the younger defensive linemen have with getting into gaps. Once these things get ironed out, and I would not be surprised if they get ironed out by the end of the season to an extent, but once Penn State goes through this season, all those guys get a lot of reps, and... They then go through the bowl practices they're going to have, then the bowl game, and then spring ball, and then summer ball. I think this we have more reasons than ever to believe that this team may be a little bit ahead of schedule. The offense is doing better than I think any of us really expected it to do. The defense has been admittedly not that great, but it's had some injuries, which has given the blessing of the curse of young dudes getting more playing time. So through three games... I don't think it's crazy to think that, yeah, Penn State probably loses to Michigan, probably loses to Ohio State. But looking at Bill Connolly and what he thinks Penn State's projected win-losses in every game, those are the only two games where Penn State is not favored to win. That doesn't necessarily mean that Penn State's going to end the year with three losses. Just that, by the way things look now, if you run everything through a computer simulation that takes out every single kind of mistake and whatnot... Penn State has the potential to be a 9-1 team. I think Penn State probably ends up with 7 or 8. I'd be perfectly content with that at this point. And once we get to the end of the season, we'll be able to look back on this and see if Nick and I were completely out of our minds or if we kind of had an idea of where things were heading into the conference. So let's do a quick conference preview. Uh, Nick will start with the biggest conference game. And we'll put all three of these together. The biggest game, the biggest thing you want to see, and the one player who you think will be the barometer for Penn State having a successful uh, conference season.
1: So for me, I think the biggest game is Iowa. Okay. I I think that game is likely the difference between an eight-win season and a seven-win season. Um, It's Sparty is a close second. I'm really not sure what Michigan State is at this point. I know they're ranked highly and they just beat Notre Dame, but I'm not, not all that sure Notre Dame is that great. So I'm I'm kind of up in the air about Sparty, but I think that Iowa game is a big is a big one. I mean, I know they just lost to North Dakota State, but Woo! they still they still have a lot of talent. They have a good running game, they have a great secondary. Uh, CJ Beathard is plenty good to win games in the Big Ten. So if Penn State can win that game, I think this is an eight win team, but with the potential to be a nine win team. And if they lose it, then if they lose to that game, then obviously they're more looking at a seven-win season. And, you know, all things considered, seven wins is okay as long as they're exciting. Yeah. But eight wins and exciting, and eight wins with one being over a pretty good team like Iowa while also being exciting would be huge for the future of this program for recruiting. Um, As far as uh, the biggest thing I want to see, I want to see the defense continue to adjust. I mentioned how... They made the big rushing adjustment. They gave up 341 rushing yards to Pitt and adjusted to only giving up 38 for Temple. But now I want want to see can they make an adjustment after giving up 324 passing yards to Temple. So can they make the adjustments they need to make each week? Will they they over-adjust? I I just want to see if they can develop some consistency in that regard. And I'd like to see the offensive line, like I mentioned, get a little nastier as well. And then I think the player that will be the barometer for success will be Saquon Barkley. The passing game has pretty much proven itself to me. I think it is what it is at this point, and it is pretty good. And I'm willing to believe that they can pass the ball on most of their opponents. Um, but then as good as Barkley is, he needs something in the way of blocking in front of him. And if his numbers pick up, I think that means the blocking is improving. And I don't mean touchdowns. I mean more yardage and yards per carry. And if those numbers pick up, I think that means the blocking in front of him is, in front of him is improving, and if that's the case, that offense is going to be even more deadly.
0: Interesting. Uh, for me, the biggest game, I agree with you, it's Iowa. Uh, that's a game that I thought was a bit of a toss-up, but then Iowa went, around, went out and just lost to North Dakota State, which North Dakota State is a really good football team, don't get me wrong. But you would still like to see the team that won the Big Ten West and brought back mostly everyone last year be able to beat an FCS team that sent its quarterback to the NFL, you know? So if Penn State win that Iowa game, like you said, one, that could be the difference between the seven and eight-win season. And two, if Penn State looks really good at that game, and by that point, Penn State knows what it does really well, the final three games at Indiana, at Rutgers, Michigan State, Indiana's a dangerous team. Uh, Indiana can make games really, really weird. But if Penn State gets past that one and Penn State is able to lay the wood on Rutgers, a Michigan State team that hasn't had a day off, had a weekend off since September 10th, is going to be dragging its dragging its old, weary self into Beaver Stadium. And if Penn State has some confidence from those three games, especially from beating Iowa, anything can happen. Maybe Penn State is able to take down Michigan State at home. I don't know. But like you just said, if Penn State's 8-4 and and exciting, that really helps in recruiting. Well, imagine what 9-3 and exciting looks like in recruiting. Penn State's then showing those signs that we want to see going forward for next season and giving us plenty of reasons for optimism. The thing that I want to see, I want to see Trace McSorley continue to develop. I think that we're getting a sense of what he's good at. He's good at being accurate. He's good at knowing when to give the ball to Saquon Barkley and when to take it himself. But those are things that he can still do better. He can still be better with some of his decision-making, some of the throws, some of his attempts to push the ball down the field when that's not really his game, some of his just understanding and chemistry with his wide receivers, some of his understanding of when to give the ball to his running backs and when to take it himself, all things that are going to get better throughout the next couple of weeks. And this also goes to why I think McSorley is the biggest barometer for success. If McSorley is able to be one of the best running best quarterbacks in the big 10, which I know that's a really, really tough thing. What a to weird sentence. To it's a really weird sentence. That's a tough thing for him to do. But if he's able to do that with what Saquon Barkley and, and Miles Sanders and Andre Robinson are able to do out of the backfield, Penn State's going to be able to win some football games and it's going to be able to put up some really, really big numbers against some solid defenses throughout the course of the year. So, if he's able to do that, we're talking about a completely different Penn State team. I trust the defense will get better because I trust, one, because I trust in Brent Pry, and two, because a defense has to get healthy after a while. And listen, There are plenty of reasons for optimism. There are some reasons for pessimism. Don't get me wrong, but there are plenty of reasons for optimism that the rest of this season, even if it doesn't go exactly as planned, still has a few more high points in it. Uh, So, Nick, our final three things. The one thing that can lead to Penn State exceeding expectations, the one thing that can lead to disaster for Penn State, and Penn State's ultimate record at the end of the conference slate. Go.
1: Um, so as I've said over and over again for me I think it always, it comes down to the defense again. If there's consistency on defense if they can start getting some stops they're going to make things really uncomfortable for teams like Michigan and Ohio State and Michigan State and everyone else on their schedule but if that defense can't stay consistent if they can't get a handle on themselves then then Penn State all of a sudden has no chance against those big three and maybe not even Iowa and then all of a sudden teams like Maryland and Indiana and Minnesota are starting to look a lot lot scarier yeah and that kind of changes the complexion of the whole rest of the season now i think they'll probably fall somewhere in the middle of that i think the defense will still have lapses but i do expect it to improve a little bit so for me, I, I'm keeping my prediction the same. I think Penn State ends the season 8-4, and four, just as I said before the season. And I think they go 6-3 and three in the Big Ten. Again, like I said before the season, I think they'll beat one of Iowa or Michigan State. Right now it's looking like Iowa is a lot more likely of the two. But if things fall the right way, they could beat both of those teams and maybe give a scare to Ohio State when they come into Beaver Stadium for a night game. Who knows?
0: Interesting. Uh, for me the thing that can lead to Penn State exceeding expectations would be for all these really fluky bounces and, like we've mentioned, Penn State's turnover luck. Just getting to a point where Penn State is not on the receiving end of some of the weirdest things that you'll see, like a punt bouncing off of a dude's leg as he's running up the field and just things like that. If Penn State's able to fix all of that stuff up, Penn State's going to be fine. I think that's when Penn State goes from a team that seems like it shoots itself in the foot and gives away uh, field position on plus field to the other team. That all goes out the window. The one thing that could lead to disaster is if Penn State doesn't get healthy. I believe in Manny Bowen uh, becoming a really good linebacker. I believe in Jake Cooper becoming a really solid linebacker. I just don't know if I believe in that happening this year, you know? And Brandon Smith, God bless him, he filled in admirably, but I don't know how sustainable it is for him to do what he did against Temple. I want to be wrong, but I'm just not sure. Grant would Haley, be cool, though. It would be really cool, Grant. Healthy Haley. I want to see him get healthy. I want to see Saquon Barkley not get nicked up. I want to see the safeties not get nicked up. But if Penn State keeps getting these injuries and it's not the dudes that are hurt aren't able to recover in time to come back and make things easier for the Nittany Lions. That can really set things, just set things off in this really, really bad path that I don't want to go down. And the record, I'm gonna go seven and five. Uh, I'm purposely setting the bar a little bit low, but I wouldn't. I still wouldn't be surprised with eight and four. Nine and three seems like a bit of a stretch. but I don't know if I'd be too surprised with that. And even six and six, like that would be pretty close Possible. to a disaster. But Michigan, Ohio State. Iowa, Indiana, Michigan State. Penn State could lose all five of those games. I don't know. We're still learning about this team. Um, I hope that Penn State is able to uh, prove me wrong and be closer to Nick and even exceed what Nick thinks Penn State's record is. And we'll be sure to, list, to do another one of these podcasts after the Michigan State game and look back on everything we said and hope that we're wrong. Uh, so that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, as always, read everything. On Roar Lions Roar, comment, like, share, whatever you could do on there. Uh, any little bit of that helps, buy a shirt. They're all really nice. They're all really soft. We got Rate us sh-
1: and review us on iTunes, too.
0: Yeah, we're getting to that in a second, Nick. Don't worry. Oh, uh, okay. These shirts, I, if you are actually in state college, hit me up. Uh, email, DM, whatever. I have a shipment of them in my living room. You can come on over here. You can pick one up yourself. You, we'll solve everything through PayPal or Venmo or Cash, something like that. No reason to worry. Like us. Uh, subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and uh, what's the third one? Google Play, because yeah. you'll get every podcast that we throw up as soon as it happens. And what's better than a hot, fresh podcast, especially one like this that's going to be going up sometime on Tuesday morning or maybe even Monday night? I don't know. Uh, Nick, am I forgetting Who anything?
1: Who knows? Oh, no, it's like great. On,
0: like us on Facebook, follow us at RLR Blog on Twitter. Uh, we don't follow back, but we have some good tweets every now and then. and We've had Peter Burke's tweet in the last few games, and anyone who knows Peter knows how good of an idea that is because that dude is hilarious. Uh, yes, yeah, I think that's it for this episode. Thank you as always for listening to Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Thank you very much. We'll catch you all next time.
1: Bye.